Well, <laughs> greetings, University Presbyterian Church and our radio and online audience and worshipers. My name is Chef Paul. And for the next seven weeks, in a real and spiritual sense, under the guidance of Jesus Christ, our head chef, and the food and beverage manager, the Holy Spirit, I want to whet your appetite for the Word of God. Amen? I also want to invite you to join me in engaging several challenging questions that will call us out of our comfort zone. I want you to seriously consider these questions with me. What would it look like to practice table fellowship in our communities and neighborhoods in the 21st century? And what does it look like to be a good neighbor when your next door neighbor doesn't hold the same political views that you do? What would it look like to practice the table fellowship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's what I want to invite you to join me on this, several, this journey of, of seven weeks as we talk about taste and see. And our theme verse for this series is Psalm 34.8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. And there's another verse, passage of scripture I want to call your attention to as well. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. And let us read together. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. You may be seated. This is the word of God. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God lasts forever. Taste and see that the Lord is good. First of all, I want us to see that there is a personal invitation to table fellowship in these solitary words of taste and see. Our first point is to taste and experience the goodness of God. Taste and experience the goodness of God. It sounds very simple, but it's profound. Taste means to experience for the first time. It's a limited experience. Taste is the spark of an appetite. And when we taste something for the first time and it's tantalizing to our taste buds, an appetite for that particular food is developed. We associate taste with pleasure and satisfaction. Matthew Henry says, let God's goodness be rolled under your tongue as a sweet morsel. 
You must taste God for yourself. Your parents can't taste them for you. Your friend can't taste them for you. You must taste God for yourself. Just a few Saturdays ago, Saturdays ago, my wife and I were invited to the birthday party of a six-year-old. And we had some very dear friends there who had two little girls. One, one was around two years old, and she walked around with a chicken wing in her hand. And you just could not get that chicken wing out of her hand. But then her mother had one of those uh, frozen pops that you slide up and you just bite a piece off of it and, and her mother was eating it and the little girl noticed her mother eating this frozen popsicle and she began to ask and ask her mother for the popsicle and so her mother took, slid it up a little bit, gave her a taste of it and her eyes lit up and she began to develop an appetite for that popsicle. And she wanted more, and she began to cry and said, give me more of this new thing that I just discovered. And there we find that this little girl she had cultivated, it was the spark of an appetite, and there she was, she had cultivated an appetite for that particular food. But we discover something in, in our text today, and I think this is what David discovered. David invites us, he, he, he tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. So from his personal experience, David says, I've tasted the goodness of God. Now I invite you to taste God's goodness as well. Now taste is an important figure of speech in the Bible. Everywhere it's used figuratively, taste suggests full participation in or experience of the thing enjoyed. Here, the invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good is a, a call to rely fully on him and to experience the benefits of a personal relationship with God. But before we can invite anyone else to the table, we must personally come to the table and experience the goodness of God in the purest sense of the word. God's ultimate desire is to be in a personal and communal relationship with the crowning glory of his creation, and that is humanity. One writer put it this way, that the center of biblical mission in the Old Testament is found in the words taste and see. He goes on to say, say that the task of Israel was to attract the neighboring nations to their God. Amid a world of gods who were not good at all, there was one living God who is altogether good. And I might also add as, as we highlight this the task of Israel was to attract the neighboring nations to their God. I might also add in a Christian sense that the task of us as Christians is to attract our neighbors around us, whether it be on our jobs or in our neighborhoods, to attract them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's a soft amen. 
I thought I taught y'all better than that. Amen? There we go. Amen. And so here we find, we find that David says you have received a personal invitation to taste and experience the goodness of God. And he says, according to the message, he says, Eugene Peterson translates 34.8 as open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. Blessed are those who live under his roof and sit at his table. That's my translation. Well, I figured if Eugene Peterson can do it, I can do it, right? <laughs> Blessed are those who live under the roof of the Jehovistic God and sit at his table. You see, what I think David is doing is inviting, wanting us to know, wanting us to understand that God is inviting us into a personal invitation to have a one-on-one -on -one dinner with him. Uh, before, you before you invite anyone else to the table, God says, I want to invite you to the table first. God wants to wine and dine you first before you invite anyone else to the table. Thank you for that, amen. And so this is what David is saying to us. David says, you, you've received this invitation to taste and experience the goodness of God. But not only that, David is inviting us to cultivate an appetite for the goodness of God. Our second point is we must have an appetite for the living word. We must have an appetite for the living word. You see, Jesus should be the main entree of our lives. Not an appetizer, not dessert, but Jesus is the main entree of each and every one of our lives. And before we can have an appetite for the living word, we must acquire a taste for him. We were not born, brothers and sisters, with an appetite for Jesus. We were born with an appetite for sin. And therefore, we must be born again with an appetite for righteousness. Now, if you will allow me, brothers and sisters, to use my sanctified imagination for just a moment, the Bible is our spiritual cookbook. And Jesus is the head chef. And Jesus has something cooking on the stovetop of each of our lives. He has never burned a dish. He always cooks with perfection. And he not only knows how much we can bear, but he also knows just how much we can eat in a spiritual sense. And so we must have an appetite for the living word. I like the way Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, faith 
is the soul's taste. Without faith, it is impossible to not only please God, but it's impossible to taste him. I love that expression. It's not only impossible to, to please God without faith, but it's also impossible to taste him, to experience him. See, God wants us to experience him in the fullest sense of the word. So we, we must have an appetite for the living word as well as the written word. Uh, we must have an appetite for, for God. And that ap appetite must be cultivated daily by daily intake of the word of God, a daily time of praying to the head chef, Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things about David is he, he seems to be invite us into this personal relationship that he has with God, and, but he also praises that which has satisfied his appetite. If you read all the way through Psalm 34, you, be, you begin to see that David is praising God who satisfied his thirst, who satisfied his appetite. And when my, my wife and I were dating, uh, she invited me over to the Watkins house for dinner. That's a pretty big thing, you know, when you're dating and you're invited to see the family. Amen, somebody. But as I sat at the table, uh, the, the father, my father-in-law was the cook, and he, uh, and he cooked a, a, a meal that I'll never forget. I, I, I have photographic memory of that meal today. And, and one of the things he, he, I noticed with the family, and it's something that my family didn't do, we just, we just ate the meal and, and we went on our merry way. But what I noticed with her and her siblings is that they all began to praise the food that they were eating. Uh, these collard greens are so good. Did you try these collard greens, Marcy? Monica, did you try these? Collard greens are good. Did you try this stuffed pork chop with oyster dressing in it? Oh my goodness, it tastes so good. Did you taste this sweet potato casserole? This, I was standing around the table, I said, oh man, this is something new for me. And they began to praise the food and praise the cook and thanked their dad for a wonderful meal. Well, that's what David is doing here. David is, is praising God and praising and inviting others into the praise of the goodness of God and say, isn't God good? Won't he make a way for you? Won't he fight your battles? And he invites them into the tastiness of God. Amen. Amen. So he he, he invites them, so not only must we have an appetite for the Word of God, but there's also an exhortation to spiritual growth. My third point is be committed to spiritual growth as if your life depends on it. So there's a shift from Psalm 34, 8 to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Peter illuminates and he borrows the words of, of David and he borrows the words and he, and he says, this is the litmus test of whether you, if you really know God, but he said, but also be committed to an ongoing 
daily intake of the Word of God. He says, like newborn babies crave the spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Look at what Peter is saying. Peter admonishes the church to long for the pure spiritual milk like newborn infants so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's ultimate desire is for the church to have an insatiable appetite for the Word of God. Just as a baby craves milk, so should Christians crave the living Word as well as the written Word. In other words, what Peter is saying, spiritual growth is, and maturity is not an option in the Christian life. It should be our heart's desire to grow into salvation. Peter is a great example of this reality, by the way. When Jesus called Peter to follow him, he promised him that he would make Peter a fisherman of men. Peter accepted the call to follow Jesus, and for three years he became a part of Jesus' inner circle. 24 hours a day, he did life together with Jesus and 11 other men. He watched Jesus heal the sick, walk on water, feed 5,000, feed 4,000, make the lame walk, cause the blind to see, turn water into wine, and had table fellowship with everyday people. And in a real sense, Peter tasted that the Lord is good for himself. And all of us must taste and see that the Lord is good for ourselves personally. Verse 1 of, of 1 Peter chapter 2 implies that sin will cause us to lose our appetite or our taste for God. Living in sin will spoil your appetite for God. The Word of God will either drive you away from sin or sin will drive you away from the Word of God. And as a result of habitual sin, we can lose our spiritual sense of taste. That's what happened to Samson. When he began to flirt with Delilah, Delilah began to manipulate the relationship and try to figure out where he got his strength from. The scripture says that the spirit departed from Samson and he didn't even know it. He had lost his taste for God. The same thing happened to David. David up on, the balcony at, at, up on the balcony in his kingdom, when kings go out to war, David was standing uh, lusting after a woman named Bathsheba and committed adultery. And before you know it, David had lost his spiritual taste for God. And it took, it took Nathan the prophet to remind him of the wrong and the sins that he had committed. And in that great... Psalm 51, David asked God to renew his taste for him 
that he would have an appetite for God once again. Hebrews 6, 4, and 5 says, For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. What the writer Hebrews is saying, once you've tasted the goodness of God and the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, God forbid that you go back to the other, go back the other way. God, God forbid that you go back and take steps back and not understand that you have tasted something that is life-changing, that is earth-shattering, that will propel you into the kingdom of God on that great day. Here, brothers and sisters, are three questions I want you to pray, pray over and consider. There's three questions. I'm almost done. It's a short sermon for me. <laughs> Amen. Jesus, here's the first question. Jesus, what are you inviting me to do? Second question, how, how are you calling me to change the way I think? And how are you calling me to change my behavior? Now hold those questions up there for a minute because I, I want to elaborate on it. Jesus, what are you calling me to do? Maybe Jesus wants you to change your spiritual diet. You're consuming too much political junk food. Too much pop culture junk food. Too much television, too much Instagram, too much Facebook, too much AI. That's a new one. So Jesus, what are you inviting me to do? Pray, pray about that question and pray that God will help you to reveal to you what he's inviting you to do. I'm just making some suggestions here. How, how are you calling me to change the way I think? Maybe you're too negative, too pessimistic, too narcissistic, too controlling, too egotistical, too perfection-driven, too judgmental, too self-centered. Jesus is calling you because all of these ways of thinking, Jesus is calling you to change the way you think. How are you calling me to change my behavior? You see, brothers and sisters, the, the world needs to see that one of the things I pray every morning is, Lord, I pray that I may decrease and that you would increase and that people will see less and less of Aaron and more and more of Jesus Christ within Aaron. Because here's the thing, the world doesn't need to see more of you. They had enough of you and me. Amen, somebody? The world needs to see more of Jesus in you. Thank you for that clap. The, the world needs to see less and less of us and more and more of Jesus Christ in us. And our prayer should be, Lord, help me to think more like you. 
Help my behavior to, to reflect your behavior, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to be so self-centered, but to be other-centered. God wants us to incorporate his thoughts and his mind into our lives. Jesus, what are you inviting me to do? How are you calling me to change the way I think? How are you calling me to change my behavior? Every time the word of God is preached or taught, the goal is not to entertain you, but the goal is to change and to become more and more like Jesus Christ. It's not about it being a good sermon, Pastor, but it's about, Lord, what do you want me to do as a result of your word being preached and taught? That's what's being, being said. That's what David is saying here. He's inviting us into the realm of the goodness of God. Tim Dearborn, in a book called Taste and See, I invite you to, to get a copy of that book. He talks about the Christian's role as appetizers. I'm going to read this. and You can read it with me. The Christian's role as appetizers for the world. We are to live in such a way that when the world bites into us, gets a taste of us, its appetite will be stimulated for more. We ought to be hors d'oeuvres for the future kingdom banquet. Neither the church nor the world needs simply to be admonished to be more disciplined and devoted. Our malnourishment stems rather from lack of hungry desire. Our stomachs have been filled with junk food. It doesn't occur to most of us that the gospel of Christ and the community of his people is where our deepest hungers can be satisfied. God would raise up tasty Christians who themselves have tasted and seen the goodness of God. And having been nourished themselves, they can be feasts for others. What a beautiful expression. What a beautiful expression. That's what the world needs. The, the world, Jesus desires for us to be tasty Christians. Not bitter Christians. Not grace-killing Christians. But tasty Christians. Where those with whom we work with, those in our neighborhoods will say, I want more of what you have. There's something about your spirit. There's something about the sweetness of your spirit. Who do you know? What are you eating? I want to know who you know. Because you and I may be the only Jesus that somebody will ever see. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of what David was saying. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And happy are those who take refuge in him. Lord, you are inviting somebody to the table today. You're wanting to have a one-on-one -on -one dinner with someone. 
that they may taste and see that you are good. Lord, we pray that you will touch someone today. Let them know that you are drawing them closer and closer to yourself that they may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we have tasted you, and we know today that you are good. And we pray, Lord God, that somebody under the sound of my voice, somebody on the radio, someone online, you are inviting them to taste and see that you are good in Jesus' name.